Today is Wednesday, the 25th of July, 2018, and the title of my message tonight is called Redeeming the Time. Now, I want to start off by saying that um, we were sent here specifically to do something valuable. Not one of the 7.2 billion people alive today was created by mistake. I look at Cassidy, you could probably appreciate this because I know you like your science and nature and stuff like that, but I was watching the show. Um, <laughs> Not too long ago, and it was explaining how um, there are certain plants, they have certain colors in the plants because certain insects that pollinate the plant can only see color in that spectrum. So plants, we may say, oh, this is a beautiful blue plant, a beautiful red plant, but that plant was created in that color specifically to attract that type of insect to get it to pollinate, if that makes sense. I'm trying to get across that everything has a purpose. People think that the trees and the leaves are, God, this is so beautiful, but they were created so we can have oxygen. You know, they took the carbon to that side. Not a single thing that the Lord was created was created by mistake. Amen. Amen. Now, there's five questions um, that I want you to write down. These five questions, everybody wants to know the answer to. The murderer wants to know the answer to these five questions. Prostitutes want to know the answer to these five questions. Mothers want to know the answer to these five questions. Teenagers want to know the answer to these five questions. Abimbola, you want to know the answer to these five questions. <laughs> Senators want to know the answer to these five questions. There are athletes that want to know the answer to these five questions. There are movie stars that want to know the answer to these five questions. Do y'all want to know what these questions are? <laughs> Pastor Eric the other night, uh, Monday Night Foundation, hit upon three of them. And I was squirming in my seat because I'm like, God, he's teaching my message. I mean, I'm, why do I even try? But um, there was two more, but I want you to write them down. The first question that everybody want to know the answer to is who am I? The second question that everybody wants to know the answer to is where am I from? What's my source? The third question that everybody wants to know the answer to is why am I here? What's my purpose? The next question that everybody wants to know the answer to is what can I do? What is my particular ministry, my, my, you know, my calling? And the fifth question, even the agnostics and the atheists, they may not um, say it, but they want to know is when I die, is this it? Where am I going? That's the last question. Where am I going when I stop breathing? Is this it or is there something else after this? These five questions have permeated society and they dictate why people do what they do and say what they say. Now, I want you to think about these five questions as I share what was revealed to me after about, a, it's really about two and a half weeks going on, three weeks of um, personal struggle. Um, because of these five unanswered questions of mine and men, we waste precious time that God has given to us, okay? I want to further add that your success in the kingdom is predictable. Make sure y'all hear me when I say that. Your success is predictable, okay? It's not luck. It's not an experiment. It's designed by God to be predictable, okay? And the same can be said about our failure. Um, True success is obtained when we complete what God has ordained us to do by living according to his word and following his will for our lives. That's true success. And failure is doing the opposite of that. If we turn to Mark chapter 8, verses 35 to 37, it talks about that in detail. Okay. All right. It says, for whoever will save his life shall leave it, lose it. But whoever shall lose his life for my sake and the sake of the gospels, the same shall save it. That's your recipe for success. Okay. All you have to do is surrender your life to Christ and do what he's ordained you to do. And that's a successful life. 
The second part of that scripture says, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So if you become a multimillionaire, you have a private jet, you travel in the world, you show stopping and highlighting and doing all those things that people do and they feel the success, it's a failure if on the day you stop breathing, you haven't done what God created you to do because he created you for a specific purpose. Yeah. Amen? Yeah, that's a Amen. Now, this message came back about from a series of travels that I was experiencing over three weeks. And because of the issues I was going through, I suffered from a little anxiety, depression. I had some anger wrapped up in there. I had some bitterness, doubt, and a lot of weariness. I was running about trying to do a lot of different things as husband and as head of the household and provider and all these different things I'm running and doing. And nothing that I was doing was working. And I was stressing myself out because of that. And it's interesting because we shared messages on Tuesday night with Fellowship. And um, we did a series not too long ago where we was talking about the armor of God. And we broke down every piece of the armor of God. And we showed you how to be intentional about applying every piece of the armor of God. And in this process, I had the whole armor on except for the helmet of salvation. I left the helmet of salvation somewhere in the house. And I was leaving every day without it and getting all the wrong thoughts coming in my head. You know, <laughs> Amen. That's why we so desperately need our brothers and sisters, because I had some brothers that when I was going in the midst of that and they're here tonight, they spoke into me, they poured into me and they helped me out when I was at a low point. And I'm grateful for those brothers and y'all know who you are. Um, but we desperately need one another. And what also helped me in that situation was I took some time to do deep introspection in myself and also started remembering my Mazusa statement. And um, I also had some encouragement from my beautiful wife. All of that together helped break through the misperception that I had. Amen? Amen. So at the end of the three weeks, I'm upstairs in my living room sitting on the sofa. I'm over here at one end of the sofa where I have a ability to stretch out. My wife is on the other end where the chase lounge is at. She's kind of relaxing, looking at her phone, and she's kind of, I'm peripheral vision, I can see her, she's looking at me, and I'm sitting there on the sofa just kind of, running scenarios, because that's what I do. I, I run a bunch of scenarios on my head and figure out what's the best course of action, and then I move quickly in that course of action once I feel that this is the way to go. And um, I'm sitting there trying to figure out, okay, uh, this has been about three weeks of just pure stress and drama. What do I do? And I kind of calm my mind out low enough where I can hear the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is always talking to us, always. But we get so busy in our issues and our drama and our problems that we sometimes don't hear when he's speaking. But this night, I was sitting on the couch quietly, listening and God spoke and he made it very clear. He, he said something along the lines of after three weeks of all of this, are you any better off now than, than you was before? And um, I started inwardly smiling because um, it's a wonderful thing when God speaks to you and you know it's his voice. And um, I just kind of said to the Lord, no, I'm no better off. Actually, I'm worse off now than I was when this started. Um, I asked God, what should I do? What can I do now that will fix the situation? Now, the Holy Spirit didn't speak to me again. After I, he just made that comment, are you any better off than you was before? But when I asked him, what should I do? My wife, on that very last thought, what should I do, that prayer, she got up from what she was saying, and she came and sat down next to me, lovingly grabbed my, my hands, and she put my hands in her hand, and she said, baby, this will pass. Be encouraged. And... um. I was smiling again because God answered that prayer, not by speaking to me, but he spoke to her. And how many of you guys know that it's good to have a wife that's in tune with the Holy Spirit? Amen. Amen. 
So she said that, and I sat back in the car, couch, and then she gave me a kiss, and she went downstairs to go to sleep. And I'm, I said, baby, I'm some, before she left, I said, I'm resetting. I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm better now. And um, she went downstairs to go to sleep, and I sat there on the sofa, and I grabbed my word, and I saw voraciously looking for something that would give me an answer. I just needed a word. Like when I start tomorrow, I know how to progress and what to do in my situation. And as I'm going through it, I got led to Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 5. You want to put that on the board? Yeah. And this is what I came to. The Lord says, if you race with men on foot and they'll worn you out, how can you complete with horses? I want to stop there because that's what kind of stood out to me. Now, I started doing some research on that. Jeremiah was at a point where this was the second time he questioned the Lord. And he was saying to God, I know who you are. I know your character. I know that you are God and you're good. And I'm paraphrasing for Jeremiah. You all these wonderful things. But I just don't get how you're letting the wicked prosper. And all of us people who are serving you are going to so much hell, you know. And that was exactly the same prayer I was having. I was watching people around me prosper. I was watching things going well for everybody else, and nothing that I was putting my hands to was working. And that was the same exact prayer, albeit I wasn't being in bond just like Jeremiah was. But it was the same, and that's what God gave me. And when God answered it like this, he didn't answer Jeremiah's question. He gave him another answer to something he should have been asking. What he was telling Jeremiah here when I did research is, you're asking the wrong question. Don't be concerned about what I do with the wicked and the righteous. That's not your concern. Your concern is to get prepared for what's coming next. And I wasn't really thrilled with that once I did the research because I'm like, there's more more coming? I mean, isn't this enough what I'm already going through? What else is coming? But I looked up footmen. And when you look at footmen in warfare, the enemy will send out hundreds and thousands of footmen depending on the size of the battle to the enemy. And when footmen are coming, their job is to create chaos, to wear you down, to make you use up your resources, to create a fear, a spirit of fear and anxiety. Everything that I was going through, Satan was sending the footmen. Anxiety, you go. Depression, you go. Anger, you go. Bitterness, you go. And the footmen were just coming into the camp and causing all types of drama. That was the footmen. Three weeks of footmen. And now God is saying, you need to prepare for the horses that are coming next. Because once the footmen wore you down, then the chariots came in and they just decimated things the footmen did their job correctly. So now that I got that revelation. You know, even when God tells you something that you may, need, you may not think is the most pleasant um, word, the fact that God is talking to you is, gives you faith in itself because you, because you know his character. Amen. I like to think of um, surgery. Um, it's like a father with a child or son that's going through surgery. And the son is like, Dad, I don't want to go through this. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. It's going to be this. And Dad's like, you have to go through this because it's going to make you better when you come out the surgery on the other side. You have to go through I'm going to be here with you, but you have to go through. And that's kind of what I feel that God is breaking it down a little bit more, that he's saying, Curtis, surgery is going to happen. You're going to go through it, but when you come out on the other side, you're going to be strengthened and blessed and better off for it. Amen. 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 I want to turn to Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Because it's something I was sharing with Pastor Matt and Cassidy. We had breakfast one morning. And um, I like to think that in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Uh, the Amplified says it even better. The Amplified, says, the Amplified Bible says that I approved you and I set tasks for you to do. It's, it's wonderful the way it's written. But... I like to think that 
in our prehistory, before we was put in our mother's womb, God met with us. He said, you're going to do this, 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 and this if you follow my will and my, my word for your life. There are times when people can come and say, I got a word from you, and they'll speak a word, and you say, okay, thank you, that's great. And there are times other people come and give you a word, and it breaks you down to your core because you know that that is the one that resonates with your spirit. That's the one that God spoke to you. Pastor Eric, over three years ago on New Year's Eve, spoke a word to me and my family. And he told us um, that he, he put his arms around me, my wife, and my two sons. And he said, you know, Curtis Ministry is going to come from your home. You're going to do this, 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 and this. And I hugged him, and we said, thank you. He was giving out a lot of words that night. Justin Teresa, a couple of weeks ago, said the same exact word that Pastor Eric spoke. And he added to it something else. Because at the time when he spoke the word, I was in a place of weariness. You know? And he says, the Lord says, don't be weary. In exactly 12 months, mark the date. You're going to have this, the same thing that Pastor Eric said. So it brought me almost to tears in here because I'm like, God is talking to me again. I had another moment with the Lord where he's saying, don't give up. Be encouraged. The word he gave my wife to tell me, you're going to go through. But in 12 months, something else is going to happen. Amen. Amen? Amen. So, so whatever you may be going through in this room tonight, whatever you're experiencing, go through. Because if God is sending you through it, it's because he has the purpose for it. And when you come on the other side, you'll be better for it. Amen. That's a good word. In addition to everything else I just stated, I wasted three weeks of time. Hence my title, Redeeming the Time. Okay. <laughs> One of my dear brothers in here, we, we get in these little debates. And he was saying, Curtis, you know, he, he was trying to encourage me. And I love you for it. He said, man, um, if you um, learn something from the process... You didn't waste any time. But I like to think that if God is giving you tools and he's giving you a task that those tools are made to fix and you don't use the tools he's giving you to fix it, you wasted time. You know, so I hear what my brother was saying, but I still thought that was three weeks of waste of time. And God's saying you need to redeem that time. Amen. So the word redeem occurs at least 59 times in the King James Bible. Okay, the overwhelming majority of the uses are found in the Old Testament and the word time is 563 times in the Bible. It's the Greek word exogarzorazo. Um, uh, I hope I got that right. It's Strong's number. Perfect. Amen. <laughs> it's, it's translated as redeeming. Um, it's to rescue something from loss or to redeem it. It also means to pay the price to recover something. Um, the New International Version and the NLT says it means to make the most of every opportunity. Um, and also to make the most of your time. So when I use the title, Redeeming Your Time, that is to make the most of every opportunity that God's bringing forth in your life. Every opportunity. Okay. Since I got the word from Brother Justin that confirmed what Pastor Eric said three years ago, I know now that I'm on a timetable. You know, When I stand before King Jesus, I will have no excuse because he said, you have 12 months, mark the date. You know, there's, no, there's no time to play. So now we're resetting in my home. Um, I let my wife know, hey, baby, we need to get these things taken care of so we can be at this place when this timetable hit. So it's real to me. Um, my mezuzah statement makes it very clear that we're called to teach people, rescue them out of darkness, bring them into God's kingdom by teaching them through love. And um, if you have a mezuzah statement in this room today, I really feel in my heart and spirit that we need to be about our mezuzah statements every single day. Yes. 
Every day, whatever it is, I need to teach somebody every day. Whether I'm teaching my son, my wife, somebody in the grocery store, every single day, I need to help somebody come out of Satan's kingdom into God's kingdom by teaching them God's word and love. So whatever your mezuzah statement is in the room, and if you don't have one, we have fantastic teachers and leaders and pastors who can help you with that. You, of course, pray and ask the Holy Spirit to direct you, and then go and get the confirmation like I did with the pastors, you know, but it's so important that you have that because that's helping you figure out what your purpose is. Amen. Amen. I want to turn to Ephesians chapter five and little verses 15 through 17. Okay. It says, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Here the Apostle Paul is kind of admonishing us. He's saying that if you don't know what the will of the Lord is in your life, you're literally walking foolishly. Okay, so if we're getting up every day and we're doing the things we're supposed to do, which we're supposed to pay bills and go to work and all, but if we don't find out what God's will is for us in that day, we're living foolishly according to the Apostle Paul. Amen. He says the days are evil. And that's meaning that humanity is under the rule of Satan. Um, in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, it states, For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who holds it back will continue to do so until he's taken out of the way. The first part of that lets you know that the lawlessness is already permeated in the world. If we can go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, to further back up what Paul is saying, it says, um, first one, actually, if we have it, I'm so sorry. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the rule of the kingdom of the power of air, the spirit who is now working those who are disobedient. So it goes on and on to let you know that the world is controlled by evil. Okay? Um, and in Ephesians 6.12, we know that we don't contend with flesh and blood but with rulers and powers and principalities. And so we know that we have an act of warfare against the spiritual powers, and the world is a world that is controlled by evil at this present time. Um, Paul is admonishing us also not to sit idly by but, and let the darkness take the world, um, but to make a conscious choice to do good works and to let the light of God shine through. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, it kind of talks about this. It's the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and give the light to everyone in the house. That is how we're supposed to be. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who's in heaven. This is part of us redeeming the time. This is part of us walking towards our purpose. We're supposed to be the light that shines at all times in this wicked world. Wherever we're at, we're supposed to be the light that shines. Now, I know just as well as anybody else that sometimes life will hit you in the face and you are just beat down. That's when we come together and say, hey, brother, what's going on? Like my brothers here had did for me. What can we do to help you? How can we bless you? How can we pray for you? And that, their light shined in my darkness, and I was able to take my light and reshine again because of the intervention of my brothers who I love so dearly. So we need to all be about that in this room, you know. Brother David Hall said something to me the other night was having dinner. He said, you know, I'm, I'm called to encourage people. A lot of times I'm not encouraged myself, but I know God has called me to encourage. And he says, I'm going to be about my mezuzah statement, 
And I'm going to try to contact all the brothers that are kind of around and just speak a word of encouragement to him and just encourage him. And he's been actively doing it. And he's one of the brothers that spoke to me when I needed it. Amen. My wife, that's her calling also. She's an encourager. And um, we was talking about how every day, try to encourage somebody, whether somebody in your work or your sisters, if that's a calling that you have, you pick up the phone and say, hey, I've been thinking about you. What's going on? And those sisters might be just at that point where she's overwhelmed with children and diapers and her and her husband might have a fight in the morning. And she needs you to come and encourage her in that moment to help her come out of that darkness into light. But everybody in this room has a purpose and everybody in this room needs each other. And that's what the Lord has called us to do at this particular time in our walk with the kingdom. Amen. What I've come to understand is that there are four stages in our walk with the Lord. That may assist you in identifying where you are with your calling and also how to make the most of your time that you have remaining on this planet. We all know in this room that someday we can all stand before King Jesus and give an account for what we did in the body. And if you hear a word like what I'm sharing tonight and all of the ones we've gotten from our leaders and our wonderful brothers and sisters that have been teaching, if you stand before King Jesus, you won't be able to say, I didn't know. I, 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 that, that, that won't cut it, you know. So... The four stages that I've, I've got revealed to me, um, I'm going to explain, and I'm going to use the lives of Jesus, Moses, Samson, and Paul, okay? The first stage is what I call the miracle stage. The miracle stage is where the new Christians are. You've came into the kingdom because somebody's got, I mean, you've gotten um, a prophetic word that was right what you needed to hear right at the right time, and you knew it wasn't a, a coincidence, it was God. Or you saw somebody get a healing that couldn't have been healed. Something happened that was miraculous that drew you into the kingdom. Okay? A lot of the new Christians are at the miracle stage. You know, they've gotten a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge. Somebody's gotten healed. Somebody's gotten... Something's happened that was miraculous. It just wasn't an ordinary experience. The second stage that happens is the message stage. Now, I'm going to go through the miracle stage to kind of break this down. We'll go... I'm sorry. Thank you, Pastor. The miracle stage in Moses' life, it was at the burning bush. Moses on the backside of Midian doing the thing that he was doing, taking care of the sheep, and he saw a bush burning. We can go to Exodus 4 if you want to read about it. It says, um, Then the Lord said to him, What is in your hand? Well, I went a little further than that. We're going to just, in Exodus 3, I'm sorry, 3 1 to 3. That's what I meant to say. There? Okay. Now Moses was sending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to her up the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from the bush. And Moses saw that through the bush was on fire, with fire it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. That was a miracle. Okay, so I want y'all to see what miracles are. Moses is doing his thing and something happened that grabs his attention and that led him into the kingdom. Y'all with me? The second explanation is Exodus 3, 1 through 3. Yeah, 4, sorry, 4, 4, 2. My apologies. The Lord said to him, what is in your hand? He said, a staff, he replied. The Lord says, throw it on the ground. Moses stood on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out 
your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. Another miracle. In the beginning of his ministry, another miracle. And this happens to us believers in our walk with the kingdom. Um, the next one was Samson. And that's in Judges 14.6. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him and he tore a lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor mother what he had done. So in Samson's life, in the beginning of his ministry, if you will, the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he was able to tear a lion apart with his bare hands. Um, in Judges 15, 15, he took the jawbone and the ass, and he slew 1,000 men. Okay, So these are miracles. In the beginning of a ministry, I can remember what happened to me. I, I had sickle cell anemia, an incurable disease that I'm cured of. There, there's no, no cure. God did that to demonstrate that I'm God, I'm alive in your life, and just Come, and I'll take you to where you need to be. Amen. Amen. The next one was King Jesus. And the wedding of Cana, I'm going to turn to John chapter 2, 1 through 8. On the third day of the wedding, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus' disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour is not his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby six, six, six stone water jars, the kind of Jews used for ceremonial washing, each holding about 20, gallons, 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw out some and take it to the master's bank when they did so. This was the beginning of Jesus' ministry at the wedding of Canaan. You know, what's interesting about this is King Jesus had an itinerary. You know, he made it very clear to his mama, it's not my time to do miracles, but... She just ignored that and said, whatever he does, fix it. But at Jesus' ministry in the beginning, he had a, the miracle with the wedding in Canaan. Jesus also healed an official son further down into the word. We get into Paul in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. The apostle Paul, you're not going to go there. Um, he says, me and my Saul, he was Saul at this time, was beating out murderous threats against the Lord's disciple. He went to the high priest. And asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that they found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As they neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand of Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Amen. So there's so much you can teach a whole other sermon on just that right there. But the, the, the thing I want to point out is that he was doing something he shouldn't have been doing in, in Saul. But the Lord did a miracle in his life. He stopped him from the path he was taking. He, woke, he got out, he was blind. But sometimes you have to go through a dark place to see the light. Yeah. Amen. The next thing Paul did was in Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 10, he heals a crippled man. So this is the miracle stage. Many new believers, just about everybody that I've known that's really into the kingdom, they've had something that has drawn them into the kingdom, something miraculous. Okay? Uh, I've seen pictures recently of brothers that have been baptized you know, um, in swimming pools and brothers that have been baptized that it's changed their life. So I mean, miracles. These are all miracles. Amen? The next stage is the message stage. This is the point 
in a believer's walk where the word of God draws you, where you're actively learning about God, his kingdom, and his ultimate plan for yourself and humanity. Okay? So in the message stage, we go to Moses, chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. And it says, um, Now Israel will hear decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so you may live and may go and take possession of the land the Lord your God and your ancestors have given to you. Do not add to what I command you. Do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. Now, you saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal of Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor. But all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. See, I've taught you to decrease the laws as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may follow them in the land you're entering and take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this, is, this will show you wisdom and understanding to the nations, and you will hear about these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is wise and an understanding people. What is a nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? Amen. So, and what other nation? Yeah, so this is a point where you're in your walk with the Lord where you're getting the messages. You're either getting the word, you're teaching the word, you're in the word, you're learning about who you are, what God has called you to do, what God wants humanity to do, what God's ultimate plan. And this is where the bulk of Christianity is there at the message stage. Okay, they, they experience the miracles, they got drawn into the church that God has called them, and then they get messages. Okay, the next stage after that, well, I'm sorry, we can go to Samson. My apologies. Samson was in Judges 15 20. So we're going to go there real quick. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of Philistines. That was the time when Samson was doing his message stage, if you will. He was administering the judgment, um, the justice of the kingdom. He was doing it, but he did it for 20 years. He was in the message stage there. Okay? The next one is um, Jesus, King Jesus, chapter, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. And he began to teach them and said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And we can kind of, y'all get the point, what I'm saying is that this is the message stage where Jesus was teaching the people. Okay. The next one we have is um, Paul in Acts chapter 9, verse 20. After he's, he says that once he began to preach in the synagogues, it's that Jesus is the Son of God. So you went from miracles to messages, and then from messages you go to the next stage in our walk, which I call the moment stage. This is a, tar- this is a part of your walk with the king that you have an intimate, consecrated time with God. These are generally some of the toughest times in your life where you're with the Lord and you're like, Father, I, I can't do this, or Lord, take this from me, or, or fix this problem. But you are having those intimate moments in that stage of your walk with the king. Um, if we go to Numbers chapter 11, verses 12 through 15, Moses was having a moment with the Lord here. He had all these people, and they were all asking him for stuff, and he was kind of freaking out right here. I love this because he says, did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing at me. Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. Now, this is Moses. You know, he just walked through the Red Sea. He did all these miracles, and now he's kind of 
complaining to the Lord because it's too much for him. But he's having a moment right now with God. Many of us have had those moments where we like on our face before the Lord. Yes, <laughs> on our face before the Lord, God, please take this from me, fix this, do this. But you, that's the moment stage. It's one of the most difficult places for a believer to be. Samson had his moment in Judges 16, verse 28. Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. Let me go with one blow of revenge on the Philistine for my two eyes. So Samson's in a dark place right now. He's blinded. He's in prison. But he's having that moment, that intimate, consecrated time with the Lord in his deepest need, asking God, just one more time, remember me. Let me complete what I was sent here to do. Amen. Lord Jesus, Luke chapter 23, 41 to 43. He withdrew about a throne store away from beyond them. He knelt down and prayed. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel of heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. He still had to do what God ordained for him to do. And he was in such a desperate plight that he was praying, God, if there's any other way we can get this done without me losing my life, if there's any other way we can do this, please take this from me. But ultimately, not my will, your will be done. So I'm trying to get you all to see a picture of what moments look like. There are intense places to be. But many believers have them in their life. Okay? The next one is Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. He says, Or because of the surpassingly great revelation, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Now, nobody knows exactly what this, um, that is why for, um, for Christ's sakes I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Nobody knows what Paul was going through when he was experiencing that messenger from Satan that was tormenting him. But it was so intense that he got before the Lord and said three times, God, take this from me, take this from me, take this from me. As I've had prayer similar to that many times, well, God, can you just fix the situation? Can you do this? And like he told Paul, my grace is sufficient. You deal with that. You know, or like my, what he gave my wife, be encouraged. This will pass. But you need to go through this moment. Amen. The next stage at the moment is the mission stage. The mission stage is the stage that takes you to the cross. It's the stage where you sacrifice what you do only for God's will. It's the place where your flesh is crucified. It's the place of self-denial. It's the place where you make something more important than you or your family. It's the stage where you say, not my will, but your will be done. That's the mission stage. Um, Moses did his mission stage in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 1 through 5. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Fiskah, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan. All of Nephali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, and the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea. The Negev, the whole region of the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, this is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to you and your descendants. I will let you see it with your own eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses and the servant of the Lord died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. Moses had completed his mission. Now, he was supposed to go into the promised land, but because of his mouth and something he said that annoyed the Lord, God says, you can see it, but you're not going in it. But he still delivered Israel from Egypt. 
He took them through the Red Sea. He took them 40 years in the desert, and he was able to get them to the edge of the promised land, and Joshua completed that. But he completed his mission as far as he could with the stipulation that the Lord put on him. That's the mission stage. Samson, in Judges 16.30, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple and the rulers and all the peoples in it. He killed many more when he died than when he had lived. He was called to bring destruction to the Philistines, and he completed it, his mission when he died. So I want you all to get the point of what the mission stage looks like. Okay? Jesus in Luke 9:51. As the time approached for him for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Some virgins they said his face like flint. Um, Jesus knew that when he was going to Jerusalem, he was going to face beatings, imprisonments, and death. But he had to get to Jerusalem because he had to do his father's will. No matter what the price, I got to go to Jerusalem because that's why I was sent here to get this job done. That was his mission. And he set his face resolutely to get the job done. Amen. Isaiah 56-8 also talks about that. I offer my back to those who beat me, my cheeks for those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I set my face like flint, and I will not be put to shame. Amen. He who vindicates me is near. Who will then bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him comfort me. So Jesus set his face. He resolutely went to complete his mission. Amen. And it led to his death, but we have salvation because of it. We have to complete our missions, brothers and sisters. Finally, Paul. Acts 21, 10 through 15. After we'd been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his hands and feet with it and said, The Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand them over to the Gentiles. When he heard this, we and the people pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready to not only be bound, but also die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be persuaded, he gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. His mission was get to the, get the gospel to the ends of the earth. No matter what it took, he had to get ultimately to Rome. Because that was, in his time period, the furthest reaches. He wanted to get his mission done. So, the four stages, again, from the start, is the miracle stage. All the beginning believers start in that area. The next, start is, next stage is the message stage. Then you have the moment stage and the mission stage. We have a team of people getting ready to leave here, going to a swan. I say it right, my son. <laughs> um, he always said I said that word wrong. But they're going to the swan. They are in the moments and missions part of their walk with the kingdom. Okay? I'm sure that they've had moments, husband and wives, because they have beautiful wives and children, little babies, and they've had talks with their wives. And wives felt like, we're leaving the comfort of our home, the safety of our families and friends. We're going to this other country. And they may get there in this other country and not have any issue for years. They may bring fire from heaven and convert millions of people, or they may get there within six months and get separated from their families and have all kind of drama happen. But they're going to Turkey and that's why because that's their mission. Okay. Most Christians don't get to the mission stage. They're very happy to remain in the miracles and message stage. They'll say in messages forever. 
They'll go to church every single day for five or ten years and sit in the pews and hear the message and talk about how great the message was. Tell their friends about the message. But they won't get into the moments and they won't seek the Lord and crying and sweating tears and everything and saying, what is my mission? Because the missions are hard. The missions are those places where you may die going to what God has called you to do. The, so these are the four stages. Now, these will help you redeem the time because you can look at the four stages that I've talked about tonight and ask yourself, am I still looking for a word every week? Am I looking for some miracle in my life? Am I looking for this? Or am I just coming to church Monday night foundations, Tuesday night fellowship, Wednesday night Bible study church, Friday night discipleships, on Saturday at the Browns house, Sunday morning coming back to church? Am I just living this cycle of messages and I'm not going to moments, I'm not going to missions. See, we know now, me and my wife, that we have a 12-month window to get it right. I've been kind of coasting alone and doing my little thing on Tuesday night, but now that God says, mark the date, it's, be- it's become real. And it's, it's, it's wonderful, but it's frightening at the same time because I know now there's no excuse. You know, I remember Brother Nick, when I first met him, we was at an organization called Jesus in the Hood. And, and uh, <laughs> You remember that, need, right? Yeah. He was, he was still the, 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 the cool brother. He was there, but he, was, he was had so much energy and all. And, and um, you know, we, 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 he was, Nick, Nick is just Nick. He's great. He's always, he's always Nick. But um, the thing when I looked at Nick's life, how when I met him at Jesus in the Hood and I see him today, I can see the stages that he's went through. And I'm using him as an example because I met him at the very beginning. I can see when Nick came in and the miracles he had. I remember the day when he proposed to Sam. And I know some of the things he's went through, some of the things I've talked to him about in this shop. And he's went through each one of those stages, as many of you have. But the bulk of Christianity sit in messages. Ask yourself tonight, where are you in that timetable? Are you redeeming the time correctly? Are you content with coming to church week after week after week out the week and just get messages. Never pressing in with fasting and prayer and crying and saying, God, I need the moment stage. I need to be able to identify my missions. And let's not get it twisted. Missions don't mean you have to go overseas. Your mission may be working in this church, helping sisters and brothers here in the city with their lives, whatever they're going through. Your missions may be going to the hospital in the cancer ward, talking to those dying children your mission, who know, your mission may be anything other than going overseas, or it may be going overseas, but we need to get to the mission stage. Yeah. We need to redeem time, because we've lost so much time. Yeah. Amen? So ask yourself tonight, where's your Jerusalem? Jesus had to get Jerusalem at the cost of his life. Where is your Jerusalem? Where is your Rome? Paul had to get to Rome, no matter what. What is your mission? This is what we call Christian maturity. You're going through the stages to get to the ultimate destination that God has ordained for you. When you get there, you have the answer to those five questions because you've been led by God through each stage. And the stages are a cycle. When our brothers get to Turkey, they're going to go back into miracles because they're going to need the miracles of God to come through. They're going to get some new messages and new understanding. They're going to have some new moments where they're going to be crying and praying with one another and fasting and reaching out. And then they're going to have a new mission. It goes on. But the problem in Christianity is when people sit at a certain place. When you stay at messages and all you want is to come to church and get a word from God. And that's it. You're wasting the breath that he gave you on this planet. Amen. Now, 
I'm always sharing with my son um, that you have to have a practical application to what you say to people. Don't just say stuff and don't tell people how to put it into practice. Um, so if you're moving from stage one, which is the miracle stage, um, if you're a new believer in the body of Christ, this is exactly where you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be full of zeal and excited that God has done this in your life and you're telling the whole world about what God has did. That's the right place for you to be as a new believer. But at some point, you need to say, okay, I need to learn about my king. I need to learn about his kingdom. I need to learn what God wants me to do. And at that point, it's when you go to your leaders in the church, the elders, the pastors, and say, help me with this. I got my Bible. What do you need me to do? And then the pastor can say, hey, man, based on you, you need to be at Monday night. You need to be here. You need to be here. You need to come and sit with me. You need to That's going from miracle to message. So identify where you are right now and then take that step. If you're at the message stage and all you want to do is come to church and get a word week after week after week after week after week, you're wasting time. We're called to redeem the time because the days are evil. Amen. Amen. To get from the message stage to the moment stage, you need to, from my perspective, fast, pray, ask God, Holy Spirit, show me what I'm supposed to do. I don't want to stagnate at this one place. I want to go where you want me to go. Even if it's hard, even if I'm going to risk my life, even if my family may going to be uprooted and go somewhere we don't necessarily want to go, not my will, your will be done. Help me in these moments and just press in to have that consecrated time with just you and the Lord. Amen. If you are at the mission stage of your life, and you're getting ready to go on your missions. We have people that's in Indonesia. We have people in Peru that have already went to that next stage. And you're getting ready to go to your mission. Set your face like Flint when you get there. Wherever you go, set your face like Flint. This is where God put me. No matter what happens to me, my family, I'm going to accomplish what you sent me here to accomplish. Amen? In closing, we want to take, make the most of every opportunity. That's what we're doing in our, team, our time means. What I'm learning is we have to be intentional about the struggle that we go through. Brother Damien talks to me a lot about that. We have to be intentional. They recently had a really intense struggle, and they fought it yeah. intentionally. Yeah. We're going to pray every day. We're going to yeah. go into the hospital. We're going to pray for people. We're going to fight the enemy by taking people out of his kingdom. And I was a witness to people getting salvation in the hospital because they were intentional in the struggle. Amen. We know now that we need to be intentional as opposed to sitting on the couch, rubbing my head, trying to figure out what's going on. Okay, Satan, you've hit this angle, you've hit this angle. God, I'm going to go teach somebody gospel. I'm going to, I'm going to take somebody out of darkness into God's light. Amen? Intentional in the struggle. Pastor, you want to help me close out this? You know, if we are intentional about sowing, God will be intentional about reaping. Yeah. I understand the reason why I suffered as much as I did was because I wasn't intentional about the suffering. I was complaining about it, like Jeremiah was complaining. God, why are you letting this happen? You let all these wicked people get all of this stuff, and I'm trying so hard, and nothing's working. God's like, you're asking the wrong question. I got more stuff coming your way. Get ready. You know? So we need to be intentional about when we're going through situations. All right, I don't understand it, but I know your character. I'm going to go through it because it's like the surgery. Amen. Amen. 
In a nutshell, everything that I said tonight can be summed up in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Yeah. That's, that's the answer to everything. That one scripture right there. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Amen. Are y'all enjoying the word that Curtis has given you? When? Listen, when uh, we're in miracle stages, that's not a bad thing. Is there anybody in here that doesn't want to see more miracles? But what the miracles are actually designed to do is teach you to crave the message that says, how do I live in the kingdom I just saw a glimpse of? That's, that's, that's what miracles are for. And you say, well, these moments that Curtis is talking about, you know, how do I have one of those moments? He preached a message some years ago called Proskeros Moments. It's about when God's plan lines up in that moment with your plan. How, how do you know how you make a moment happen? You start doing the last thing you heard in the message. But if you're ever hearing and you're never doing, then you start to deceive yourself and think your job is just to hear messages. No, your job is actually to put them into practice. And that leads to those those moments. You end up rubbing your head going, oh, my God, how do I do this? I, I, I believed you said, I heard them encourage, and, and now I'm trying, and, and, and Lord, I'm falling on my face. I don't know how to do this. And do you know what those moments create? Conviction to complete your mission. That's what happens. And when we're talking about the mission, could we put um, Matthew 17.1 on this screen? I'd read it from my Bible, but I left it in my seat and my glasses. After six days, Jesus took Peter and James and John, the brothers of, I'm sorry, Peter, James, John, the brother of James, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Take that in for a minute. Because when Curtis said Moses was having a moment, Lord, did I conceive all these people? Oh, man, did y'all see my hand go up? I haven't figured out how I'm not responsible for any success in this room, but I'm responsible for anything that any of you have done wrong every time you've ever done it. I haven't figured that out yet. And I keep asking the Lord to help me with that. I know exactly what Moses is talking about. And here's the thing. Even during his moment, he completed his mission, didn't he? And what was he most upset about in the Moses moment? Man, I'm not even going to get to go into the land you talked about. When you complete your mission, Moses is standing in the land. He's standing in the land in the body that he will have in the kingdom to come. 
Something happens when you are intentional about saying that miracle is going to take me into the next message. That message is going to take me into my next moment with God. When I'm having that difficult moment and I don't know what to do, I'm going to carry out my mission. And you will find yourself standing with Jesus in the kingdom. That's what will happen. Church, are you encouraged to pick up your sword? Now... It's true, we're a ministry that puts people on a collision course with God. That's true. I know that rubs people the wrong way sometimes. That's why there's more than one of us. When I do it, 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 might, it might leave an abrasion on you. Curtis just put you on a collision course with God and he left a smile on your face. That's why it takes a team. Nobody is saying that you have to do what Curtis does, that you have to do what I do. What we're saying is that you were born for a purpose and you cannot stagnate where you are. I promise if you're in search of something, it's not outside these walls. You're in search of fulfillment of your purpose. And you can find that standing next to the people inside these walls. This church was built on that phrase. You can turn around and look at it. You'll be staring right into your internet audience. It says, perform out there what you have practiced in here. That was the very first purchase this church ever made. You know why? It's what we're all about. We're going to stand our feet. Peyton is going to make his way up here. As we close in worship, Curtis and I, Probably Pastor Wade. We'll probably get Pastor Matthew down. I'll put all the good-looking pastors here, and I'll go sit on the front row. We want to pray for y'all. You know, you can walk through here. You can take a spot at the altar. We want to pray for you because here's the thing. We have staked our lives on the fact that you are going to complete your mission. Gabriel Arias, my life will have ended in failure if you don't make your mission. Because I've staked my success on you. Cody Schmidt, my life's mission is to make sure that you hit yours. Damien, see, this is not a ministry that is looking to see what we can get from you. We don't pass a plate because we don't want your money. If you feel called to support us, there's a box over there. It's not compulsion because what we actually want from you is for you to complete the service for which you were born. Guys like Curtis, like Rick on the third row, they're proof that it can be done. And against overwhelming odds. If we're going to take Curtis and Rick as an example of absolute overwhelming odds, what we're going to see is that all you actually need is the power of the Holy Ghost, a Bible, and a really good-looking wife. And you'll get everywhere you need to go. We're a family. We want to take this time to make sure we're doing what it takes to advance. Amen? Amen. I believe you can have your moment right now with the Lord. Right now. And what that will carry you into is a mission for a life that is worth living. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Curtis and I want to pray for you.